be kind to yourself and be honest with yourself. And the honesty part is, you know, I like to give people a slew of tools and ideas and, and tips and practices, but you know yourself best. So listen for the ones that make your ears perk up a little bit or have you nodding your head or have you thinking like, oh, I totally used to do that in college and it really helped when I was feeling a lot of anxiety. I should do that again. Those are the things then that you take from this and implement tonight if you can. Just this Monday morning after waking up joyfully, I journaled, read my devotional. I walked outside to see the sunrise and do some yoga. I prepared a wholesome breakfast and I woke my girls who all gave me a smile and said, I'm so excited for school. We dressed and ate together at the table. And as I sent them off to school with a hearty lunch packed and I love you with all my heart card tucked into their lunchbox and received, and I love you so much, mom, as they walked into school, I just felt like, wow, so accomplished being just such an amazing mom with such amazing kids. What a day. Huh? Huh? What? (laughs) Sorry, I was daydreaming again. Let me wipe the drool off my chin. The reality of the situation may not have gone quite this way. Certainly yelling and screaming, waking up the kids possibly, and preparing boiled water, which serves three purposes. Hot tea, make some oatmeal and hard boil some eggs. I woke up the girls again and again, receiving some shouts and and comments of, I want to wear this, I don't want to wear that. And you name it, it can get pretty crazy and trying to get everyone off the door at the same time. And oh no, late again. My daughters told me that one time I said, since we're already late, let's drive by Starbucks. And I said, okay, well, we're already late. Let's do it. All right. Well, let me tell you, my expertise in motherhood has come a long way. Really, one of the most challenging and rewarding roles I have has been that of being a mother. Being a single mom in particular has had so many challenges that I'll share with that today as I introduce my guest to you, who's an expert and author in the, you know, this gifting of motherhood and incorporating a sense of humor and sense of discipline. Well, hello, everyone. It is Dr. Anna Kabeca. I am the Girlfriend Doctor, and it is my mission and my passion to help women live better lives before, during, and after menopause. So welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor podcast, an intimate place for intimate conversation. And I am here for you. So you can ask or tell me anything. I love the conversations that we have. No shame, no guilt, no apologies. And we are pulling back the curtain on all things related to women's health. You name it, we talk about it. Our goal is to shine a light on your overall wellness, mind, body, and spirit. So let's get started. Well, hello, Amber. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Anna. I'm super excited today. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you've really gotten into this line of work. And and also, you know, like I was just sharing that you have four boys. I have four girls. Yours are under 12. Mine are 12 and older. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So my background was in business and then I went on to get a master's in clinical psych, which is my true passion, really understanding 
how people think, why we behave the way we do, and all of the elements that I can use then to try to help people through transitions, through challenges that maybe are brought upon them from outside sources like we're all involved in right now, or things that you want to actively, purposely change in your life. So transitions that you're looking to go through, whether it's personal or professional or health-related. So that's really where my passion lies. And so I spent the last couple years putting together, I'm, I'm an obsessive reader and learner. And so I found that, you know, all of these self-help and self-development and business books that I read, I would find these little golden pieces and nuggets from everything. And, but I, I was still frustrated. I felt like there was a lot missing and, you know, what might work for one person just you know, it was a great story, but I couldn't apply it to my life because I was like, you know, everybody has different values, different lifestyles, different family dynamics, different personalities. Our kids have different personalities and lifestyles and um, priorities as well. And so I really wanted to write a book that was helpful specifically to overwhelmed moms that took all of that into account, that could be helpful and light and funny and interesting but also leave you with some like real tools and practices that you could institute today, like given your unique perspective and values. I love that. I love that. And so definitely taking this into, like you said, overwhelmed moms, right? (laughs) It's almost like a given sometimes. And it, it definitely feels like that, especially as a single mom with, for me, single mom with four children, I said it was, it has been the most challenging role I've ever had in my life and certainly the most rewarding and I wouldn't take back a minute of it and you know here we are and we're recording and we're you know kids at home and there's this transition going on in our lives and I think now more than ever we can feel sometimes our strengths we want to focus on our strengths but we can also feel our inadequacies like okay maybe I'm at my limits you know and these challenges that we face just being a mom, working mom, single mom, mom in general, partner, all of those things can really bring up some some significant challenges. Now, I love the humor in which you wrote Stretch Marks. That is a great book. And for everyone listening, I I bought it off of Amazon on Kindle. It is a great book in hard copy. I love hard copy, but you know, I'm like, I want to make sure I get that book. They weren't delivering so well during quarantine. So I, I got the Kindle and fabulous sense of humor, fabulous creativity. And what were, as you were writing the book, Stretch Marks, talk a little bit about, you know, what were maybe some of your discoveries along the way that you feel impact us most as mom? Well, the first two things I always like to point out to people, and it's especially relevant right now in this situation, is to be kind to yourselves. Because often we spend so much time and energy, which we have limited both, right? (laughs) Limited amounts of both. So we spend so much time and energy thinking about what we should be doing. All the I shoulds, I call them in the book, right? The I should this, I should that. And those can come from internal sources or those can come from external sources. So, oh gosh, you know, my my boss thinks I should be doing this. My neighbor, you know, my sister-in-law, my mom. You get all of these pressures from the outside world. And we spend a lot of time and energy either responding to those, feeling the pressures of those, and seldom do we take the time to ask ourselves, like, well, what do I want? What's important to me? What will make me happy? 
So I argue that like spending all this time and energy on our outside pressures is not serving us, right? It's not serving our children. It's not serving our families. And it's certainly not serving us. So the more we can be kind to ourselves and really focus in on what's important to us and what will make us happy will benefit our children as well. So starting from a place of really acknowledging what, what makes your, you happy and you're completely unique. Everybody has different values and lifestyles and you're a different person than you were a couple years ago, right? And a couple years from now, you're going to be different. So the choices you make now are unique to this specific time and who you are at this time. So let's honor that, especially given the fact that we just had all of these shifts brought upon us, right? Very few of us got to choose, you know, oh, all of a sudden I'm working from home. Oh, all of a sudden we're together 24-7. Oh, all of a sudden my kids that used to have soccer practices and sleepovers and play dates are home with me 24-7. Oh, all of a sudden there's like this distance learning stuff. What does that mean? Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you're kidding me with this. And we have to check their homework. I mean, yeah. Right. And, and some kids are taking to it great and they're just like, you know, soaring. Other kids are really struggling. Some kids, their confidence is going up. Others are feeling really frustrated. You know, everybody all of a sudden has different needs that need to be served differently than we've ever had to do. So, if, and I don't say that all of those things to overwhelm us. What I say is I'm bringing those to light because I think that it's important that we acknowledge there've been a lot of transitions. We didn't have any preparation time. So let's just be kind to ourselves about that. You know, let's acknowledge that. And, and that brings us to my second thing is being kind to yourself. So, you know, instead of then beating ourselves up with judgment, oh man, look at these people on, on Instagram and Facebook. They have it together. They're having meetings. They're doing this. Their kids are doing art projects. You know, first of all, you don't ever know what's really happening in anybody else's house. They might have their cooking all, you know, they love cooking and they're posting all these beautiful meals. That doesn't mean everything else in their life isn't falling apart. Okay. It's not a competitive thing. It's just to let you know, like, we really don't know what anybody else is struggling with. And so the more that we can be compassionate for ourselves, then we can have compassion for others and realize, look, let's be kind to ourselves. Like, this is new. And even if this person over here, maybe, you know, they have a child in the hospital right now. So it's easy to beat yourself up. Oh, I shouldn't be complaining about distance learning. You know, they have a sick kid. It's okay. Like, it's okay. It's okay to be stressed out. And it's okay to be happy and be enjoying this time. It's all okay. <laughs> it is. It is. And that kind of just that not comparing, it's not competitive. I love the yoga expression when you're practicing yoga, like, you know, you're on your mat only. You're just on your mat. Keep it on your mat. I mean, don't compare with anyone else. It is your practice on your mat. And that is, that is such good advice. It's like, don't look outside to see, you know, uh, to kind of get validation or for competition and, uh, or for re, you know, reinforcement of our inadequacies. I mean, that just takes me about two minutes if I want to really be honest. No. (laughs) So, so let's, you know, about keeping it together with in this transition, you know, and however old our children are, like yours are 12 and under, mine are 12, 20, 23 and 31. And we have, we have seven women under the roof of my house right now. 
two dogs, a very young lady, my 12-year-old, and then the rest of us as adults, as adult women, and uh, quite different challenges. Some One is finishing her college, her third year of college at home, virtual learning. Certainly, Ava Marie is homeschooling at this point from her school, which was, again, not prepared for, you know, who was prepared for distance learning. And so that was a challenge and a transition time for her, but she's really got it. She's pulled it together. And then, you know, my others working from home, but much of what they did anyway was working and studying from home. So, you know, it's just a full house and a full adventure. But I think what we had to do, we had to have in our family, we had to have some, you know, family board meetings. So we did, okay, these are our responsibilities each day. There's a list of who's cooking when and, you know, alternate teams are cleaning. So reinforcing the the teamwork and also working together and holding people accountable for that, for the expectations to be met. You know, if, if, for example, dinner's not ready at a certain time, like, hey, you know, you have to communicate that. So how do we navigate this, keeping it together. You know, here I'm with older children, you're with younger children. That part of of being kind to yourself and not looking for outside reinforcement or comparativeness and doing that self-care. I always say, I love the quote, resentment is lack of self-care, right? Absolutely. And you have a relationship program coming up. So you guys at Amber True Blood at your website and your Facebook, I saw you're doing relationship in quarantine. So needed. I love that. There's a lot of questions coming up on that end. Well, so let, let me answer your question because I think that we can provide a bunch of tools for people. And I always say, and this is, this is the be honest with yourself part. There's be kind to yourself and be honest with yourself. And the honesty part is you know, I like to give people a slew of tools and ideas and, and tips and practices, but you know yourself best. So listen for the ones that make your ears perk up a little bit or have you nodding your head or have you thinking like, oh, I totally used to do that in college. And it really helped when I was feeling a lot of anxiety. I should do that again. Those are the things then that you take from this and implement tonight if you can. So one of those tips when you were talking about board meetings I think this is a good time right now to do like, you know, when they say an ounce of prevention is worth like gallons and gallons and gallons of cure. This situation now that we have in quarantine is, you know, that, that term or that, you know, analogy is more important than ever. And because we all have a certain amount in what I call like your emotional bank account. So the more things you can do to replenish the amount the balance in your emotional bank account, then when those little things, you know, then when you see the dishes weren't done, even though this person was supposed to do them after lunch, and now you're trying to make the next meal, and there's no dishes because everything and nothing was put in the dishwasher, you know, and that's the chance where you're just, you know, you're starting to get upset again. So the higher you can keep that amount in your emotional bank account, then the less likely you will be to flip your lid as all of those little things pop up during the day because they're going to, right? It's inevitable. Nobody's going to be perfect around you and you're not going to be perfect. So how do we then keep that level high? So a lot of it is preventative things. And I want to go through a couple of several tips, but one of them that came to mind when you were mentioning board meetings is one that you can use with older kids younger kids, or just a house full of predominantly adults like you have. And it's kind of like, you know, people do a lot of like, oh, we're going to say thankfuls. We're going to go around the table and everybody say something they're grateful for, or you do it at bedtime. 
we kind of in our house added a couple extra steps to that. And I think this can be very useful for people. So besides saying something you're grateful for, which I think is always important and helpful and helps kind of reshift our, our perspective on things, but say something that you appreciate or admire about the person to your left. So however you're sitting, go around the table. You say something that you, that you, that you find special, not just, oh, I'm, I'm grateful you made dinner. No, like a character, a character trait, a quality that you really admire or appreciate about that person. And when siblings do this with one another, I find, I mean, it carries so much more weight than when you as the parents say, oh, you're so kind and compassionate. I just, I really admire that about you. Or you're so persistent or you're, you know, you're, you're really tenacious when it comes to something and you just tackle it and you don't give up. Whatever it is, you know, when they hear that kind of compliment from a sibling, it really, really helps change the dynamics. The other thing that we added, so we have a round of gratefuls and we do a round of what you appreciate or admire. And if you have time, you can do this. You can do everybody in the room and then somebody else does everybody in the room. You know, we did that at Thanksgiving and it took like an hour and a half and everybody really loved it and came out of it, you know, with a, with a light, you know, like a feather in their hair, you know. The third thing is what I'm working on. And this is not like, oh, I'm working on this podcast development or I'm working on a new project. It's, it's a character trait that you're working on. So, and for kids to hear their parents be honest about what you're working on, it, it models so much, right? It models like we're not perfect, you know, <laughs> and we're admitting that and we're actively working on it. So to me, that helps kids realize, oh, wow, the expectation is not that I'm supposed to be this perfect human by a certain age, you know, that we can forever be working on ourselves. And it's not a negative thing. It's a, it's an acknowledgement that we're human, right? So I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm really working on being in the present moment and enjoying the present moment. And I'll say, because, you know, I think as mothers, that can be very tricky for us because we've been trained through necessity to be thinking ahead and ahead and doing these forms about and ordering groceries, you know, we're just shooting on all cylinders, thinking tomorrow ahead and two weeks ahead and two months ahead all the time. So to rein that all in and focus in on the current moment, it's a real brain shift for a lot of us. And so I'll share with my kids, I'm really working on that because I like you guys and I want to enjoy the moment with you, but sometimes it's tricky for me to get out of my head. And so it's a practice that I'm working on to be more present and more enjoying of the moment. And they'll all go around and say what they're working on. And I was really shocked as my kids are seven, nine, 11, and 12 now. I was very surprised that they didn't need, they didn't need help coming up with ideas. Like all of them, the, the stuff that they bring to the table is it's almost exactly verbatim like what I would have recommended they're working on. And so it also helps other people in the house to realize, oh, he knows that that's super annoying and he's working on that. Like, oh, that's interesting. It didn't seem like he had a clue that that was annoying. So it also helps people have a little bit more empathy when they see, oh, you're actually working on this. You're, you're acknowledging that this is a problem. Then I don't have to show you or prove to you it's a problem that I think you should be working on because you already see it. So I think that that is you know, one of the practices that can be really helpful. 
I love that. I love that. Like that realization, like what I am working on and also that kind of checks and balances. Like someone said, I'm super annoying at such or such. And it's like, this is what I love about what you do. And this is what to be really able to focus in a positive way on what they're working on. And so also a way to make sure that they're not hard on themselves unnecessarily, or, you know, there's not that negative self-speak but yet it's it's phrased in a positive way because we're always working on something. What could we be working on? And speaking of that, you know, I talk to my kids about, you know, because all the kids are different. When you have four, sometimes if three of them are really alike in one vein and one is different, they feel like only one in the world that does this or this or thinks like this. And it can be very isolating. And I think that happens in bigger families sometimes. You feel like the, you know, the black sheep of the family. And so I had this conversation with one of my kids the other day. And I said, you know, look, there's, there's two sides to every personality trait, you know. And so I feel like it's our job as parents to really help not shift their personalities, but show them how this can be a strength in what area, you know, what things, what the flip side of that personality trait might be and how they might need to, you know, just be aware of that, you know, so somebody who is, you know, a perfectionist, so to speak, and to expect that same level of perfection in those around them. Well, that could be a hugely beneficial trait in a lot of areas of your life as an adult. It could also be really difficult. It can also make things very frustrating for you, very frustrating for people around you. And so we talk about that. So we'll say, yeah, it feels like you keep getting in trouble for this one thing that you're doing. But let me tell you, there's there's a positive side to this trait that's going to serve you big time as an adult. And this is how that's going to look. And your brothers, you know, might struggle with that because this is, that's not a natural tendency for them. For you, that's going to be really easy. For now, it feels challenging, but I guarantee you there's a positive flip side to this personality trait. And man, it's, it's going to be golden can be golden. You're going to really use it at some point. So I think that can be beneficial too. Yeah, that can be beneficial. I was thinking too, because each child is different as we can tell. So different sometimes, but love languages, do you use the love languages with your children? So I, I don't, I know about them and we talk about them in kind of broad terms. And I was just thinking about that the other day, cause I had another mom that is very into enneagrams, enneagrams. And she, I don't know how you pronounce that, but enneagrams. She was, enneagrams, and she was, you know, she was saying that for her family, she uses it a lot and it's been really, really impactful. And I think that all of those tools are amazing. I also think there's a place to just open up the conversation and say, you know, what kind of things, especially with the younger kids, leave you feeling really like happy and special and like cozy in your heart, you know, and what kind of things leave you feeling left out and frustrated and sad, you know, and just, and talk about those. And I think the best way to broach that conversation is to use yourself as an example and to say, oh, well. Wow, like I love when you come out of the blue and like give me a it makes me feel so special and grow. And there are times all my kids and you can also notice how they react to things, you know, because sometimes they can't articulate, they don't know how to describe, you know, really what their love language and all, you know, go up to children and I'm so lucky to be your mom. Like this is a, like how cool is that I get to be your mom? And I could just see them being like Gosh, like that's like the ultimate compliment. 
And if you do it with, you know, authenticity, then you know, that, that really can make somebody's heart soar, you know? I love that. You know, one thing we do at our table, and I was like kind of hesitate, but it was brought up by one of my children to do the practice of highs and lows. So similar, but like I always hesitate on the lows. I never want to look for the negative, but yet the flip size is, is that it brings up an area for us to discuss that could be really affecting, affecting their heart, right? Affecting them. And so I want to know your thoughts on that highs and lows. That's a good question. I think that, you know, it depends on the kid. So some can handle it. And some, some need it because they might not ever mention a low and they're just carrying it around and they're thinking about it a lot and they're making assumptions and they're telling themselves a whole story in their head. So that might be an amazing tool for that person to bring out some stuff that they maybe otherwise wouldn't offer. So I think it depends on the kid. I would try it and see if you think if one kid, it just, it spirals them down. Maybe you do it just one-on-one with the child that it does help. The other thing is, I know that Sarah Blakely always talks about that she, her family around the table and talked about celebrating failures. And really, you know, failure was the word, like it's, it's kind of sounds like an extreme, but basically it was celebrating trying. Yes. It was celebrating mm-hmm. taking risks. So you can reframe it so that it's not lows, but it's like a, hey, I had a, like a, I took a big risk. It didn't turn out how I anticipated, but you can say taking that step in a scary situation or I have a friend I just interviewed and she talks about stepping into the uncomfortable zone and I thought that's really cool because it doesn't necessarily have to be a failure but it has to be like wow I stepped into something that was so uncomfortable for me and here's what happened but it really doesn't matter what happened it matters that you celebrate and the fact that you took a step you know I see that. And thinking back on way back when, when I studied um, under Dale Carnegie's influences and Dale Carnegie courses, he talks about using the sandwich language. I'm wondering if even, because I like the idea that we can touch those areas that sometimes those lows that like, I'm not talking about it, but all right, we're all sharing. And yet, so if we did high, low, high, like a sandwich type thing, but also with those lows, like what did I try to do, but maybe I wasn't successful, like, you know, falling off the skateboard or something like that. You know, the high is I got on the skateboard. The low is I fell off the skateboard. (laughs) You know, the more that you can convey, especially to children who have difficulty expressing that kind of stuff is just start talking about your own stories because I guarantee you they will be very surprised sometimes. And, you know, I had a situation recently where one of them was feeling some jealousy. It was girl related. And they said, you know, I was talking about it to him and he said, well, you, you felt like this before? And I said, yes, totally. <laughs> you know, but there was like a surprise, like how could, and nobody's felt like this before. I think, you know, we often, especially the first time that we're experiencing really, really strong emotions about something in a new way, it can be really validating to hear that you've been there, you know, you've been there and you're not taking the focus away from them. You're not making it about you. But you're, you know, you're sharing that you're human too and you can relate. And if you want to talk about it, you know, here's what was helpful to you when you were dealing with that. And also I love the I love the practice of not pretending we know all the right answers to everything. So there have been times that I've said, Wow, this is a new parenting area for me. Literally use those words with them like, I did not think this was gonna come up, 
yet in our lives together. So, you know, let me, I got to think about it. I got to think about like, what's the best way to deal with this so that I can help you through this, but also help you learn something at, at the same time, not solve it for you. You know, let me talk to dad and, you know, let me talk to mom or whoever and think about it and, you know, we'll circle back. It's okay <laughs> to say that. I, I think that's great too. And also they you know, they know you're looking out for them and you're being honest. That's authenticity. And children feel that versus just coming up with an answer. I also really like the part about, you know, reflecting on, well, when I had, you know, when I was such and such, I experienced this. And again, how important is you said not to deflect away from their emotion around what they're dealing with, or, you know, that their, their concern and their issue, but to be able to share for me, it felt like this, you know, help me understand more about how you're feeling and to just not, you know, I think that's really good that we're not taking away their concern. And it's, I mean, all this stuff is challenging, you know, say the first child, the oldest child is, we call her practice. (laughs) Like we learn so much (laughs) as we raise our children. (laughs) It's true. And we have, you know, I think that, you know, as I was thinking about this topic specifically for single moms. And like, I spoke to a couple of my girlfriends right now and some that where, you know, there's kind of no partner involved at all. And they're a hundred percent on, and then others that are alternating between hundred percent on by yourself and then pure utter isolation and the stress, uh, you know, when the kids are with the partner and then the stress of not knowing you know, what quarantine protocol he's using and, you know, and, you know, arguing about that. And then how do you communicate to the kids why you're doing it one way at one house and another way at another house, um, which happens all the time in divorced families. But this situation is even more amplified, right? Because there's grave health concerns. They might be listening to the news nonstop in one house, not hearing any news and hearing a lot of positivity and health related things in the other house. So this can be, you know, extremely anxiety provoking, even more so for single moms. And, and then at the same time, I saw a lot of opportunities because there are, I think, tools that you use as a single mom that you figure out quickly out of necessity because you can't be in five places. You know, I grew up with a single mom, I grew up with a single mom and we're very independent, autonomous, you know, handled our own you become much more, I think, like a team from early on out of necessity, but it's very nice. I mean, I developed a lot of independence and confidence growing up in a household like that. And I think that it's easy for parents, especially if you're, say, going through a divorce right now or, or immediately preceding this experience, that you blame any problems, any you know temper tantrums of your four-year-old or teenagers acting out you blame that on the divorce, you know, you blame, this wouldn't, she would not be doing this if we weren't getting divorced right now. And I see moms do that all the time. And I remember when my oldest was three and I had a very good friend going through a divorce and she had a kid exactly, exactly the same age. She called me and said, Oh my gosh, you know, Savannah is doing this and she's doing this and she all, she's freaking out. She hates me. And she, because she knows that she was just applying all of these stories to the behavior. And I said, look, I'm not going through a divorce. We're not fighting in front of her. We didn't just move houses. And my kid is doing the exact, <laughs> the exact 
I swear to you, I'm not joking. Exact same things. Like exact. It's a developmental thing. They're both turning three. All of a sudden, they don't want you to get them dressed. They don't want to take a nap. They want. He's doing the exact same thing. I promise. It has nothing to do with your divorce. And so, sometimes giving ourselves, being kind to ourselves, and comes back to being kind to ourselves and being honest to ourselves. Right? Like, let's maybe not jump to beat ourselves up for situations. And even, and even if it was related, does it serve you at all to go into that negativity spiral? Now that's easier said than done to get out of it, you know, but I do have, if I could share with you. So one of my favorite things in dealing with like a lot of anxiety, you're just feeling really anxious. And especially right now, or you're thinking about finances or you're thinking about your health or you're thinking about your job and what's going to happen in a couple months. I always relate it to going through labor. And even if you didn't physically give birth to your kids, you, I mean, I was in adoption proceedings before I got pregnant because they told me I probably wasn't going to be able to have children. And that's a whole other story. Wow. Okay. So, and I know the adoption process, holy moly, like that's grueling. It's very anxiety provoking. Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot that takes place during that. So however you had your children, and I'm going to call it going through labor, but however you ended up having them, there are certain tools that you can use during labor that really help, right? So I feel like you're smiling, like, you know what I'm going to say? Oh my God. I love this. I'm thinking La Leche right now and, um, you know, doula work and yeah, labor and deep breathing and yeah, count to 10. And that's the first one I would love for you to chime in too, because I have here like the, the physiological impacts of slow, deep breathing. Like it's not just, oh, because Par- it's cool turns on and you parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. Like it does real things in your body, hormonally, chemically. Like it's not just this magical Zen thing that you do because it's what yogis do. Like they do it because it really does impact your nervous system and the chemicals in your brain and the hormones that are released. And then because of that, your immune system, your sleep cycles, I mean, it goes on and on, right? Your metabolism. It affects everything. So step one, like slow, deep breathing. And I always say it slowly, (laughs) like slow, deep breathing is huge, huge. And because, and it helps us during labor, right? Deal with the labor pain. The second one is we carry a lot of tension in, you know, in our jaws and in our face and in our shoulders like this. And that causes problems with us physically as well, but just actively noticing like, am I all tensed up right now? Like not only am I going to breathe deeply, but I'm going to relax my jaw. I'm going to relax my face. I'm going to just let my shoulders go. And then sometimes a couple minutes later, they're already back up to here. But that's the second thing I think you could do is the slow, deep breathing, relaxing your jaw and your face and your shoulders. The third thing is focusing on the present moment. So I remember being in labor with my first and thinking, and I, I had a doula, and I told her, oh my gosh, if this is what it feels like at four centimeters, there's no way I'm going through transition. Like, there's, there's no way I'm going to make it. I started panicking, right? And she was like, no problem. Like, no, no problem. Well, let's, let's just actually focus on the contraction that's happening right now, and then we'll talk about that later. And I happened to be on Pitocin with him, and so there was, like, not really any in-between. But as soon as she got me focused in on what was happening right now, and I thought, okay, well, I, I can tolerate this. I, I'm doing I, I can totally deal with what's happening right in front of me. What I couldn't deal with was the unknown of the future. Yeah. 
One contraction at a time. Yes. So same thing here. So know yourself. If you know that you're going to start panicking and freaking out and not being able to sleep or eat by thinking of two months ahead, this is kind of like, what did I call it? Emergency emotional support, like protocol time. You know, like this is where this is, should be top of mind. Like this is protecting yourself emotionally because it protects your family, protects your health. And so the more you can, maybe you have to focus one day at a time. Maybe you have to focus on like from now until lunch was my focus. Maybe you have to focus on like literally what I'm doing right here in the moment, depending on how anxious you are at that given time. You need to hone in your focus smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to a piece small enough that you feel like, okay, I can handle this. Like I can handle this right now. And then focus on the next moment and the next moment. So bringing yourself into the present moment can also really be a wonderful way to reduce your anxiety. The fourth thing is when you're in labor, if there's a bunch of people in the room that are annoying you, what do you do? You kick them out of the room, right? <laughs> you yell at whoever's there, get her out of the get her out of the room right now. You know, right, you're like, right. get them out of the room because it's not serving you to have anybody around you who's negative or obnoxious or annoying or disrespectful of you or, or judgmental or anything, anybody that's making your feathers, you know, perk up is out. You kick them out of the room. The same, <laughs> the same thing for you right now. The, like support protocol mode, like everybody who is not serving you, making you feel good and happy. I'm not saying you have to cut them out of your life, but minimize and distance yourself from them. You know, so maybe you just send, you know, you send them a text, say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Hope you have a great week. In other words, like I'm good, but you won't be hearing from me. I care about you, but have a two hour conversation today because I, I want to be kind to myself and I can't handle that right now. So I always say those four things, breathe, relax your jaw, focus on the present moment and kick the people out of the room who aren't serving you. I love it. I love it. And back up to the focus on the present moment, it reminds me of a book written by Joan Rosenberg, uh, 90 seconds to a life you love, like it just 90 seconds, 90 seconds, those emotions, that wave of anger, that wave of guilt, checking into yourself to feel what you're feeling and just give it 90 seconds. And just do that deep breathing through it, that wave of emotion will pass so you can more easily step into being in that present moment. Just remember, it's just a minute and a half, a minute and a half, and that wave, that emotion, that energy will pass. And I I thought, well, really? Are you seriously just serious? Just 90 seconds? Yep. Just focus, 90 seconds, breathing, and that emotion will pass. And how often do we not give ourselves you know, 10 seconds, let alone 90 seconds. This is Dr. Anna Kabeca, the Girlfriend Doctor, author of best-selling books, Keto Green 16 and The Hormone Fix. I quickly wanted to share with you that my new book, Keto Green 16, is finally available. Look inside these pages, beautiful recipes, a 16-day clinically proven, effective fat loss, adrenaline boosting, anti-inflammatory plan that will make you feel great quickly. We have used this 
plan in clients in postmenopause, menopause, and postmenopause, as well as some gentlemen that have joined us along the way. I love it when men are joining alongside their ladies and taking part. And what we found is an increase in fat loss, a decrease in symptom scores, and a decrease in waste. So we like to see these changes. In fact, we had one client who's a 67-year-old woman who has tried many things. She was diagnosed in the past with breast cancer and had felt that she had hit a wall and she was just going to have to power through or struggle for the rest of her life. Just within one cycle of Keto Green 16, she not only felt tremendous, but she said she was happier than she's been in forever that she could remember. And she was no longer feeling like, when is the next shoe going to drop as far as waiting for another diagnosis? She felt empowered over her own body and that she has taken this control back. Not to mention losing some weight, improving her blood sugar with a decrease in hemoglobin A1C, as well as some other really important health markers. Now we've had a gentleman in the plan. His name is Daniel, 57 years old with 80 pounds to lose on blood pressure medicine at risk for starting blood sugar medicine. He did one cycle of Keto Green 16 with his beautiful wife and within 16 days, his symptoms dropped tremendously. His blood pressure improved so much that he has to be weaned off his blood pressure medicine and he lost 30 pounds, I know crazy, right? And what other clients have told me, especially during the quarantine, is that they felt like they were doing something good for their body. They could focus on their health and their resilience, which made them feel much stronger and healthier. And so I encourage you to check it out, Keto Green 16, and I am pleased to be on this journey with you. The other thing about self-care, because that's kind of what we're talking about in a nutshell, even though we haven't used that term exactly, but is, is, you know, when you're out in the world before all of this and people talked about self-care, they often, I think, aligned it with like, oh, getting massages or going on vacations or things like that. And I would argue that those things can be very, very nice, but true self-care is, has lasting effects. It's often most of the time free. And it's something that, that doesn't just feel good in the moment. So for instance, I always think about this when people talk about meditation, how they, you know, they want to do it, but they don't have time and then I can't sit still. And which I get, I had that argument for many years. I liken it to going to the gym, right? Like we go, we exercise or we do an online workout nowadays, not to just look and feel healthy for those 45 minutes that we're actually doing the workout, right? If we only felt good and were healthy during those 45 minutes and then were terribly unhealthy and felt awful and looked awful and could barely walk and were in pain for the other 23 hours in the day, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it, most of us. So meditation is the same thing, but for your mind and for your emotional state. So it gets your body practiced in tools that then serve you for the other 23 hours in the day. And the more you do it, then the more your endurance goes up, you know, and the more you're better able to stay focused in the present moment, your memory improves, you're less reactive and more responsive to the environment. You can be more purposeful in your behavior instead of just responding and putting out fires and frantically racing around. And then, you know, you get into bed at the end of the day, we've all been there and you're like, I am exhausted. 
I don't know what I did today. I don't feel like I accomplished anything, but I was busy all day and I served the needs of everybody else around me. My needs, what on the, I don't even know what the last time I asked myself what was important to me or what would make me happy or what would make me feel good. So meditation or things like gratitude journaling, things like maybe finding old hobbies that you put away a long time ago, but that really made you happy. And maybe you've made up excuses why you can't pull out the knitting yarn or take an online hip hop class or sing or cook or you know, play cards, whatever, you know, whatever it is, there's probably something that you put away a few years ago, or maybe do once every six months now, but this is the time to bring it back. And if you have kids in the house that are interested, bring them in on it, like teach them something that you love to do. And that what an amazing opportunity for like bonding and doing something that you enjoy on top of it. I love that. And just again, thinking about what you said, like, you know, that self-care versus emergency emotional management. I kind of love that term, emergency emotional management and, and heading back into self, you know, resentment is lack of self-care and feeling too, definitely hearing from clients, resentment towards their spouse, resentment towards their ex, resentment towards their kids, resentment to those others that may seem like they have it all together and you're just like being held together by a thread, you know, and I I definitely remember those years as a a single mom where it felt just like, oh my gosh, you know, like it certainly can't handle one more thing. How am I handling everything I'm handling right now? And of course I'm still a single mom, but I've, I've definitely have learned and it would have been nice to really understand just how impactful, whether we're single mom, mom, or in a, just in a relationship living life, what, how important this emergency emotional management is really as a developed practice and principle that we practice on a regular basis. So, you know, I, I talk about feeling the peace that surpasses all understanding, right? Just that deep peace, despite the external circumstances. And for me, you know, that process was physiologic, mental, emotional, relational, that I call my keto green way, the keto green, you know, the kids keto green, what we eat is a part of it, but there's a whole lifestyle component that I learned through, you know, being into those dark depths of hell. And I, and I definitely have seen um, clients just kind of spiral right now because of all this triggering that's going on and certainly fear-based cortisol. So I want to address a little bit more about scheduling, like scheduling, organizing your day, like organization. I always joked in, I mean, it's been since college, right? Like my entropy, the natural law of disorder, right? That is just natural law and that kind of that entropy. But when you're all homeschooling under the same roof or you're as a, as a parent, as a mom and organizing roles and responsibilities and, and accountability, and I'm always so loving tips in this area. What do we need? We need a good name for this. Like you have emergency emotional management, emergency organizational management. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. We'll come up with something good and put it in the show notes. Yeah. I like it. So just to give you a tiny bit of background, a couple years ago, I pulled all the kids out of school. We started homeschooling. And six months into that, we had this wacky opportunity that came out of the blue that was not expected. My kids all play music. And so one of them got cast 
in a role to be in a Broadway musical that was the touring company. So they were the traveling company. And my husband and I at the time, because we understand how fragile uh, you know, marriages can be and how difficult it can be when you've got, when you're living in different places for extended periods of time. So we knew from the get-go that we would either go all together, figure out a way to make it happen, or we would pass. So we were fortunate enough to figure out how to do it all together. And so we all six went on the road. We ended up being on the road with this tour for 16 months. We went to like 60 different cities all over the U.S. and Canada. And so we were a all six together, 24-7, <laughs> pretty much. We were in very different locations. So sometimes in two hotel rooms because we didn't have enough beds for like one hotel room. So we'd be like down the hall from each other sometimes and with like half the luggage in one. I mean, like everybody was, I wrote the book while we were on this tour. People were like, you're writing, you're writing about this, right? And I thought, I can't even begin. I don't even understand. I can't even, I can't even explain to you what I'm doing right now. So there's, I can write about it in a couple of years because it's just, I'm in it. But anyway, so we were together and we were homeschooling uh, from the road, which looked very different than any type of homeschooling from one location, whatever it looked like, right? So I learned a lot during that experience on what worked for us, what works for each kid, the opportunities in all of that, the challenges in all of that, how my husband and I work together, who, you know, who has what strengths and how do we support each other and not tear each other down, you know, in times of stress and anxiety. So all of those are applicable now, right? And I feel very honored to have that, have had that experience so that I can hopefully use some of those tools to help other people right now. So one of the things we did when we, we came off the tour last June, and we are living in San Diego right now, which we weren't living in before. We sold the house while we were gone, sold the cars, and just said, well, we'll figure out where we land. So anyway, long story short, what I found to be helpful, some of the tools are every morning, even my seven-year-old, they first start out by doing their trifecta of terror, we call it. This started because I got really tired of saying, Okay, did you brush your teeth? Okay, you brush your teeth, but did you make your bed? Okay, but you're still in your pajamas. This was when you know you could still go do things. Now we stay in our pajamas most of the time. But so I got tired of they would have two things, but not the third. And, I, and so then I just started saying, did you do your trifecta? And then they called it the trifecta of terror, which, you know, then just makes it funny. You know, if I had made that up, it wouldn't be funny, but they made it up. So it's funny. I said, yes, do your trifecta of terror, please. So they do that. And then we like laugh about it instead of being like, oh my God, how many times are you 12? Like, do I have to remind, really? You know? So sometimes you can make things playful instead of making them annoying. And then it lightens the mood and it raises your emotional bank account, like we talked about. So then they all give me by about like 9, 9, 15, a list of what they're going to do that day. And it needs to include not only academic stuff, but outside stuff, physical activity. It includes like music, includes something creative. And then often, because they're silly, it will include something funny on there to get me laughing as I'm reading and checking their list. Like it'll be like, look really closely at Dylan's list, you know, and one brother will say about the other. Or it'll say like, make mom laugh. And then if I've laughed by the end of the list, then they check that off. So, you know, they have fun with it. Now, it started to go overboard where there were like half the things on there were jokes and then half were serious. And they said, okay, no, 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 you can have like 20% jokes, but the rest needs to be real stuff. 
but it made it playful. And then they started making my seven-year-old, I need examples of this in here, but made these beautiful lists, like with drawings and colors. And, you know, it was really like in a way, became a way for them to also like express some creativity. So they do that. And then I can say during the day, okay, where are you on your list? Like you've been doing this task for a long time. Maybe have, this is a good time to filter in some outside time. So really teaching them autonomy, like teaching them to manage themselves. I think, and I think single moms for, I mean, unless you have really little kids and you're just not there yet, but you become very good at this very quickly because you have to, you can't babysit and stand over their shoulder every 10 seconds, right? Just like when the kids are little and they're climbing up something dangerous, I would always sit back and say, you know, oof, I don't know about that. Like, are you sure? Could you get down on your own from there? You know, and then instead of being right there behind them, they knew they had the responsibility to assess. Hmm. Is this, does this feel safe or should I, should I climb back down? You know, obviously if it was super dangerous. Right, yeah, of course. Right. But you're watching. But that saved me because then I didn't have to be one of those moms that was panicked. I knew, okay, but he's not going to climb up there if, if it's unsafe. I can trust him to trust himself. And then that obviously elicits in themselves so much confidence and pride because they, they know they got this. They know you trust them because they're smart enough and responsible enough to handle it on their own. And now with some kids, you can do that earlier than others. You know, you also be really honest with yourself. I think when we try to treat all of our kids the same, it's doing a disservice. It's really, that is really not treating anybody fairly because they're not the same person and they don't have the same needs. So if you give yourself permission to treat people differently because they deserve to be treated differently because they are different humans, then you know, and you can tell the cat too, like, you know what, this guy needs this right now. And so I'm going to give it to him. And when you need that, I'm going to give you that because that's my job. Yeah. I think too, like one thing I did early on too, is just having date night with, you know, one at a time, just having that special mommy daughter time. And of course we're having it all the time now with the whole group, but I mean, just having sometimes that one-on-one time, which is really unique and special. And so do you institute a reward system? Do you like, do they get a reward? Do they get just, you know, they have that sense of self-accomplishment. And I asked because, you know, a lot of verbal, verbal. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, so my kids also, we, we didn't end up doing like, um, devices. I couldn't even think of the word, you know, cell phones and iPads and things like that. I just kept telling myself, maybe we'll wait a little bit longer, maybe. And then, then we ended up waiting so long that they developed all of these other really cool skills. Like they, they're obsessive readers, like to the point where they get in trouble for, you know, reading at inappropriate times or walking across the street, trying to read and people like tease me about it. But, you know, and I, I get that it's a nice problem to have for sure. So they read obsessively, they're very creative, you know, they draw, they play music and whatnot. So the more I saw the benefits of that, the less likely I was to like, and the other thing is when they tried to interact with other kids, they would get frustrated because they'd be like, they're just playing the games the whole time. They're so boring. These other kids are so boring. I hear it. Yeah. And so they started to get a lot of positive reinforcement from other adults, like, you know, flight attendants and waiters and people at hotels as we were traveling a lot. And they would, they got so much positive reinforcement for how polite they were, how they made eye contact, how communicative they were. Like 
what they were, you know, working on or how creative they were that it became so strongly reinforcing that I, I haven't felt the need to do any sort of external like points or awards or anything like that, because it's just, it's been built up already so strong. And I didn't want to, if I didn't have to link behavior to like, oh, dessert or, you know, you know how that can make you have all sorts of funky relationships with food, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. TV time or yeah, things like yeah. that. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I'm not organized enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. And if people find that with little kids, that can be hugely reinforced. I mean, if you look at like Khan Academy, I mean, my kids love, you know, like, oh, I'm, I got this badge. It's genius at like getting you badges and you get points and you get this avatar that gets a tail and, you know, and it's very reinforcing and, and they love it. But yeah, so if you, if you have a kid that that resonates with and you really feel you need some help, some more support, but at the end of the day, I think kids, like all humans, want to feel loved. They want to feel like they belong. They need to feel safe. And they want to feel respected and accepted. Okay? So if you, if you give them those things, man, like it's, it's hard to find other things unless they're addicted to something. Then that's a different kind of reward. Then you're, you're reinforcing an addiction, which work is really powerful. But it's, it's, it's way more, I mean, like, it's amazing if you can link their, you know, rewards to one of those feelings instead and really helping build that up, then you're really giving them such a service, you know, providing such a service for them because, and then with like chores around the house, it's, we tell them, you know, it's, there's things that you do just because you're part of this family and that's how we need to function. But I also am respectful about it. So I will say, I will give them a warning and I will say, Hey guys, you know what? Like in about an hour, I'm going to call you all in here. We're just going to all spend 30 minutes because this living room is driving me nuts. So like in a, in about an hour, I'll warn them. And then in a half an hour, I'll say, okay guys, you got like 20 more minutes and then I'm going to call you in. And then I call them in and I do it with them, which I find to be far more effective than trying to do paperwork while, and then be like, guys, no, wait, you're not done yet. You didn't, you did have, what you know, I also find it effective if I have them do separate things. So it's not everybody does like, okay, you two clean up the kitchen. For me, <laughs> that's not helpful because then it's like, well, I did this part. Well, he did, I did seven glasses. No, 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 no. You got the kitchen, you got the art table, you know, you got the backyard and you got the you know, cleaning up all the books and putting them away or whatever it is like. And I'll tell them, you know, what do you want? You want books, you want entryway, you want shoes, whatever. And then they do it. And if they complain or if that particular space happens to be a total disaster, I'll say, you know, don't worry. There'll be more messes tomorrow. Everybody have something different <laughs> tomorrow. That's the genius of having a big, messy house. We have lots of stuff for everybody to do all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Amber, thank you so much. Thanks so much. I can definitely talk with you all day and I'm really enjoying spending time with you. I know I can't wait for you to write your book about your travel journey. I also homeschooled too while we traveled around the world for over a year in different countries, different cultures, just with like understanding what's really important. We were together. We had a couple duffel bags bags and, and just made it work. But what I, I saw and what I see you doing, because you know, your children were just on Good Morning America playing their music. But what, what I, I saw and what I think hopefully many people are, are gleaning now, one of the silver linings amidst the, the quarantine 
is that you can really see your children's gifting. Like, what are they doing now? And when I traveled around the world, I saw too, like outside of the structure, what they were really fascinated them when they were drawn, because they're drawn to continue to create, to think, to do stuff, especially because no, no electronics. At that time, they had laptops for school, but the laptop was associated with schoolwork. And right. <laughs> back when you had the disk drive, 2006, 2007, it was just beautiful to see. One was just reading everything. The other one was had an affinity for languages and just the food and the cooking, you know, and this right now, in just this little bit of time, like I didn't, you know, she's organizing her room, her clothes based on color. Look, y'all, it was chaos. Don't think that I've done anything to inspire this. But it is just her gifting. She's like, okay, you know what? I think I I, I really want this organized. And, and she's been working on it now for a couple of days. And she's writing down recipes. Like, what? How cool is, of course, that's keto green smoothie recipes. Well, maybe they're just, they're just smoothie recipes. But it's just fascinating to see the creativity and that writing it down, that aspect is is beautiful to see. And when we're under the stringency, sometimes of we've got school and we have after school and we have soccer, tennis, horseback riding. There's so little downtime and creative time that can, we can feel good. Like the kids are not going to fall behind because they're not in school. If anything, we'll see a flourishing in their personalities. I hope. I think so. And I think, you know, everybody does need purpose and sometimes a project <laughs> helps, you know? So if you do have a kid that has difficulty self-starting, you know, you have those kids that, you know, you could not hear from them for three hours and they're just, you know, they're creating a board game or they're doing whatever. And then other kids that are like, I'm bored, you know? And in our house, that just does not fly. It's met with like, oh, you're bored? Okay, perfect. Guess what? Like this pantry is, you know what? I, you know, and then they go running. You barely see them run off into the distance. <laughs> they found something to do. Oh, exactly. Good. And if not, then you get your pantry cleaned out. It's a bonus. There, there you go. And and now in you're gonna you're talking also about relationships, just like how to using kind of the same guidelines, the self-care guidelines, the kindness, being kind to yourself, being kind to others in the relationship guidance. So just in closing, give us a word for those relationships. Because I know as my big pet peeve, I have a whole program called Sexual CPR about intimacy beyond sex. But right now, because of a lot of pressures and stress, financial, personal, emotional, relational, it definitely can put a strain in relationships. So just one note on that, where people can find you. Two things, communication and appreciation are going to save you during this time with your partner. Like, really, really authentic communication and authentic verbally appreciating the other is going to be huge, huge, huge. I put together a special landing page for your group. So if you go to freegiftformoms.com slash COVID, they'll get like special tips and tricks and a little video with some additional helpful hints. So freegiftformoms.com slash COVID. And then my, yeah, my regular website is ambertrula.com. My book is... Oh, this is good for Mother's Day too. It's if you have any moms that you love that are overwhelmed, like all of us, stretch marks. And then this is a journal called the Be Truly You journal that I made to accompany it. So you can write your notes and there's some affirmations and some beautiful little um, tips in there as well. I love it, Amber. Thank you. So ambertruelove.com and free gift for you. Free, free gift. gift. Uh, free gift for moms. Free gift for 
www.forthemoms.com slash COVID slash COVID. Okay. Perfect. All right, you guys, thank you everyone for being with us. Thank you so much, Amber, for being with us today and sharing your wisdom. This has been such a wealth of information. I know we'll have many more conversations to follow. Well, hello, everyone. I know that you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did with Amber, author of Stretch Marks. Definitely a great resource to gift for yourself and or to gift during Mother's Day. We have been in a beautiful season here this spring. Just launched my book, Keto Green 16, a bestseller, and I've been thrilled with the results that we're getting. Always enjoying the testimonials that I received. And I received one recently from Dion in Colorado. And she says, I'm a labor and delivery nurse in the largest hospital in Colorado. We are all stressed right now about our own health and bringing home the COVID virus to our families and especially our children. I read your blog about what you recommend to stay healthy in the midst of COVID. And I thank you so much. I'm enjoying your class and your products and recommending and using Jolva for about a year now. It is a challenge being a mom during these times, and I thank you for your support and kindness. Well, thank you very much, Dion. I am grateful for you being here. I love reading these testimonials and your questions that are coming in as I continue to be here to support you. Remember, I am here for you. Dr. Anna Kabeca, the Girlfriend Doctor. See you next week.